Welcome to the Inspirational Living Podcast, brought to you today by Book of Zen, makers of inspirational fashion and gift ideas. Visit them online at bookofzen.com. Today's podcast has been edited and adapted from The Man Who Pleases and the Woman Who Fascinates by John Albert Cohn, published in 1901. In all countries where intelligence is prized, the talent for conversation ranks high among accomplishments. To clothe the thoughts in clear and elegant language, and to convey them impressively to the mind of another, is no common attainment. The man or woman who is an intelligent, tactful conversationalist commands one of the most essential elements of a successful life. While all of us may have certain defects which we cannot wholly overcome, however earnestly we may try, we can, if we will, reform our conversation. We can so train ourselves that good nature, consideration, and benevolence will always have a place in our intercourse with others. We can, if we will, use good English and we can avoid the temptation, so common, to talk of persons rather than of things. Theoretically, we despise gossip, but in practice, most of us add our might to the common fund. We may not be ill-natured, and the sweet charity that thinketh no evil may have a home in our hearts, Yet sometimes, if we are not watchful, it may fall asleep, and bitterness or the spirit of spitefulness may come creeping stealthily to the surface. We can, if we will, be intellectually honest, a kind of honesty which is indeed rare. The principal reason why arguments and discussions lead to so much dissatisfaction and ill-feeling on the part of the disputants is the lack of this quality. Two people are engaged in conversation and a question of religious belief or of politics is brought to the front. Each takes a side in the discussion and maintains their opinions to the end. Neither is searching for the truth but is eager to defend their side of the question against the attacks of their opponent. It does not occur to either that anything else can be the truth except the things they have been taught to believe. To both, the truth simply takes the form of their own opinions, and since they are most firmly attached to their opinions, neither ever questions their own devotion to the truth. Such persons can scarcely be said to use their minds at all, for their thinking has been done by someone else. Many a host is obliged tactfully to separate aggressively argumentative and disputatious guests who have never learned that others have an equal right to their own opinions, and that not every dinner party is the proper occasion to plunge into heated argument in the hope of changing another's views. In addition, we can all avoid the habit of exaggeration, a fault which does not get itself called by the name of falsehood, 
but which is in dangerously close proximity to it. A person hears something, true enough in its original shape, but they pass it on with a little addition of their own. The one to whom they tell it adds their own touch of exaggeration, until at last the statement is so swollen and distorted as to convey anything but the real truth. It would be difficult to charge any single one with deliberate prevarication. The result is a sort of accumulative lie, made by successive individual contributions of little dashes of exaggeration. Thousands who would never be guilty of inventing an entire story derogatory to the reputation of another are constantly contributing to the formation of these accumulative falsehoods, which are quite as evil in their results as those which are conceived and concocted by one person. In order to cultivate a nice sense of honor in our conversation, we must remember that it is quite as easy to be ill-mannered in speech as in conduct. There are men and women who, at a dinner, would not under any circumstances transgress the rules of table etiquette, but who may offend quite as grossly by a thoughtless or an intemperate use of words. They may not dispense with the fork, but they wound the heart by unkind words. They may observe all the amenities from oyster fork to finger bowl, yet they offend some member of the company by sarcasm or personal innuendo. They may not misplace or misuse the napkin, but they may render the entire company uncomfortable by declining to yield an argument to the greater weight of evidence, or by overloading a story with unimportant details. They may be scrupulously neat and of easy and graceful deportment, but may never have learned the gentle art of keeping one's temper sweet when criticized or when confronted by a contradiction. It is almost the definition of a gentleman and lady to say that they are ones who never inflict pain. They carefully avoid whatever may cause a jar or a jolt in the minds of those with whom they are with keeping an eye on the sensibilities of all their company. They are tender toward the bashful, gentle toward the distant, and merciful toward the absurd. They avoid unreasonable allusions on topics which may irritate. They are seldom prominent in conversation and never wearisome. Another delightful trait of the true lady and gentleman is that they make light of favors when they bestow them, and seem to be receiving when they are conferring. They never speak of themselves except when compelled, never defend themselves by a mere retort. They have no ears for slander or gossip, are scrupulous in imputing the motives to those who interfere with them and interprets everything for the best. They are never mean nor small in their disputes, never insinuate evil which they dare not say aloud. They have too much good sense to be affronted by insults, and are too busy with enjoying life to remember injuries. 
They may be right or wrong in their opinions, but they are too clear-headed to be unjust. They see the truth in Samuel Johnson's maxim that the habit of looking on the bright side of things is worth far more than a thousand pounds a year. More than half the unhappiness in the world comes from a person's unwillingness to look on the bright side. We all like the optimist, the bright, cheerful, good-natured person who always looks through the cloud and sees its silver lining, is as good as a tonic to our most pessimistic dispositions. To become a gentleman or lady thus means cultivating a habit of cheerfulness, of always looking on the bright side. Wear a pleasant countenance. Let cheerfulness beam in your eye. Let love write its mark on your forehead. And have kind words and a pleasant greeting for those whom you meet. Don't forget to say good morning. And say it heartily. Say it to your co-workers, your brothers, or your sisters, your schoolmates, your parents, your teachers, and your friends. Pleasant, hearty greetings cheer the discouraged, rest the tired, and make the wheels of life run more smoothly. They clear up the thorny pathways, win friends and confound enemies. In fact, it is impossible to resist the influence of cheerfulness. Let a bright face beam on the darkness of defeat, shine on the abode of poverty, illumine the chamber of sickness, and see how everything changes under its benign influence. Victory becomes possible, competence promises a golden future, and health is wooed back again. On the other hand, you cannot estimate the amount of unhappiness you may cause by wearing a clouded face and by speaking harsh, unkind words. Many persons fret and whine all through their life. They never appear to have a generous impulse. They seem to have come into the world during one of those cold, bleak, gloomy days when there was nothing with which to build a fire. They apparently grew up in the same bleak atmosphere and they live in it all their lives. Never forget that it is just as easy to be kind as to be cross, and as easy to give pleasure as pain. It costs nothing. It is a smile, an appreciative word, a mention of what one likes to hear spoken of, rather than not. Another characteristic of the graceful gentleman and lady is that they are as simple as they are forcible, and as brief as they are decisive. The entertaining talker is not of necessity a great talker. They are often a good listener. They understand that a bright story briefly told will amuse, but that people are bored by a long story filled with pointless details. They are not necessarily learned or profound. They understand that small talk is of as much importance in business meetings as it is among friends and acquaintances. Small talk is the small coin of conversation. Those who despise its use often get on as badly in social life as would the merchant who should exclude the dimes and quarters from their money drawer. 
Without them, the wheels of trade would be blocked. Years ago, it was commonly said that an honest old copper penny will often turn the corner of a good bargain. Ordinary chit-chat gives ease to conversation. The straitjacket is removed. The mental forces have full play. The individual acts themselves, and the communication of soul with soul becomes free and delightful. With small talk, we grow familiar and can toss words about as a juggler does their balls. Philosophers with their learned and exact phrases at once deaden the flow of soul. None of us are strictly original. The things we say today have been said just as well a thousand times before. But that forms no reason why we should not say them again. The coins in your purse have been through a hundred hands and are not the less useful in serving you again. The fellowship enjoyed, rather than the store of wisdom communicated, is the end goal of conversation. Whether they say anything of importance or not, we like to hear some persons talk. They inspire us and set our own mental machinery in motion. Small talk often brings us most readily in contact with another soul. All good conversationalists know the use of small talk. To be sure, they know something more, something larger and better. But the chinks in the larger subject are filled in wonderfully by a familiar interpolation of the smaller things in a chatty way. Many a wise and learned individual would be a better talker if they had at hand a supply of small coin. They can talk extremely well on serious and recondite subjects. But the quick jest and easy repartee of the cafe or dining room are beyond them. They are, in spite of their learnedness, at a disadvantage in society, where there is no time for homilies or for treatises on erudite topics. Persons left gifted chat and laugh and have a good time, while the professor sits in gloomy silence. Those who would please and be pleased in social situations must carry with them and be ready to dispense the small change of light and witty conversation. To become better at this, find out whether your companion prefers to talk or listen. Avoid personalities. Endeavor to lead the conversation to subjects familiar and interesting to others, rather than especially pleasing to yourself. Never indulge in sarcasm. Be good-natured and sympathetic. Strive to be tactful. Exchange small courtesies. Talk to all with equal attention and interest. And whatever the topic of conversation or wherever you may be, appear cheerfully contented. The Inspirational Living Podcast is a production of The Living Hour. For free transcripts of our podcast, please go to livinghour.org. If you enjoy our podcast, please consider becoming a patron. You can become a patron for as little as a dollar a month, which will ensure that we can continue our podcast for years to come. 
become a patron, please visit patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com. Simply do a quick search for the Inspirational Living Podcast at patreon.com to find our Patreon page and learn more, including the free gifts we offer to every patron. Subscribe to our free podcast today at the iTunes Store, or at Google Play, or at Stitcher.com. Thank you for listening. We look forward to being with you next time.